This is DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. I talk weekly on the internet at brett.live on YouTube, and sometimes I have guests, sometimes it's just you and me with questions and answers. Hopefully I have some more answers, hopefully you have some questions. Come join us live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern. Thanks so much to my Patreon supporters. You can get my weekly updates on what I'm creating and updating in the world of open source and Docker containers, Kubernetes, cloud native, all things DevOps. You can support my efforts there at patreon.com slash Brett Fisher. Thank you so much to my now over 100 supporters. And just like the last podcast, I am back after a long break, eight months or so from 2020 to 2021. I'm pulling some more episodes from last year out of the archives that I thought were too good to pass up. This one is with my guest from VMware, Wayne Witzel. And Wayne joined me to show off the Octant project, which is sponsored by VMware. A few of their staff spend their time focused on this open source project, which is essentially a web UI for local developers that are using Kubernetes locally. So it's not necessarily a production web interface, but more focused on local awareness and troubleshooting and seeing what's going on in your cluster, editing things that are in your cluster. We go through an extensive demo, which I will skip out later in the show. So this podcast will really just be the conversation about it, not so much walking through the interface while you listen to us clicking around. And in the show notes, you'll see a link to the full length YouTube live with the full demo. Now on with the show. I'm going to be a new person on this topic, so I'm going to learn along with you. And on the show, we have Wayne Witzel from VMware. How you doing? Hey, how's it going, Brent? Thanks for having me on the show. It's going, yeah, it's going. And we are actually, again, this is actually a couple of weeks in a row, I feel like we've, you're, you are just three hours away from me. <laughs> we could actually be yeah, in the yeah. real world if we weren't quarantining. Yeah, I'm over in Durham, North Carolina, which is actually yeah. a really nice day out today. Yeah, and where he's right over the border. So in case you're not on the east coast of America, we are right there in the middle on the east coast, not far from the ocean. And turns out we're both working from home because that's what we're doing in the States, like a lot of countries nowadays. So this is actually, this actually works out great. Remind me, you are, you are the dev lead or the team lead on the Octant project, right? Yeah, I'm a team lead for the Octant project. There's a, a total of, of four of us. The tech lead and kind of the cr original creator of the project is Brian Lyles. And then there's two other members of the team full-time besides myself, which is Sam Fu and Milan, which I can't correctly pronounce his last name. Yeah, that happens to me on this show all the time. So hopefully I got Witzel right. So have you been at VMware a while? Was this like your first project at VMware? How's that, how did that happen? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I was originally at Heptio and that was acquired oh, cool. by VMware uh, a little over uh, a year and a half ago, uh, December of 2018, I believe it was, right? Yeah, right? Sounds yeah about I think right. so. Yeah. yeah, December of 2018. So uh, I, when I was at Heptio, I was working on a project at the time. It was called Arc. It's now called Valero. It's a, a backup and recovery tool for Kubernetes clusters. And then I had some time away due to some uh, medical issues. I, I had a, a pituitary tumor that I had to take out. And so I had a three month recovery period. So when that's I came good. back, there was this new project, Octant, and that's what I've been working on for the last year. Wow. Almost. Yeah. That sounds like quite a journey. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, definitely I've talked to a lot of people that have worked at Heptio or had worked at Heptio when it was uh, still a thing. And uh, still, it's, it's really cool to see the work coming out of that, everything from the Kubernetes Fridays to all this open source work that's happening at VMware. So this is actually, I think you're the second 
VMware guests on the show that we're having on in three months. So it's kind of turning into like a VMware show lately, which is pretty <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. It's all open source. It's all Kubernetes. And uh, it's been pretty fun. All right, before we get into like really diving into Octane, you mentioned something earlier that I need to talk about because I think a lot of us don't have experience with this. You recently had baby goats. What's yeah, well, I didn't, yeah, but our, our goats who we have had uh, some kids. Yeah. Uh, two. So our goat, mac. we have three goats. We have macaroni, melon, and marsala. And macaroni gave birth yesterday morning to two baby goats, a girl named Noodle and a boy named Nougat. Nice. Nougat. That's a great yeah. name. Are those, are, are these gouts, go, goats, goats, these goats for uh, like, are you doing it for milk, for entertainment? For, what's the reason here? So yeah, the milk entertainment keep, so we are on 18 acres. So, so okay. we have a lot of area that can be grazed and, and they help keep that down. And then we also process boy goats for meat. Oh, okay. The the goats on tables and like goats standing on things is a mm. constant meme that I love on the internet. Do you have Instagram accounts for your goats? Is this a thing? Uh, yeah. So yeah, the if you follow the the Riotous Living Instagram account, that's my wife is is in charge of all that, and there is a constant stream of baby goat stuff happening right now. Yeah, constant stream of baby goats. <laughs> that's yeah, it's yeah, pretty constant. That's, that's yeah. pretty cool. Um, yeah, the goats on tables, goat yoga, all that kind of stuff. If you're around goats and you watch them, you learn that you don't want them walking on you. <laughs> they are indiscriminate bathroom users. They they do not care where they where and when they're going. They're probably. I would imagine they're not a potty trained animal. So, not at all. No. Yeah, yeah. I forgot about the the goat yoga. That I just recently stumbled onto that, and I. I, I can't imagine it. Like those hooves look pretty uncomfortable. So, well, so on the bit, the little kid goats, they're very soft. They're not hard. Okay. Yet. So, so it's, it's not that bad, but as I said, you, yeah, you don't <laughs> generally, you want to avoid just being under goats. All right. So in, in comments, we have uh, your goats are adorable from Clayton. I don't know if you know Clayton, but uh, I do know Clayton. Yeah. He's a good friend of mine. <laughs> it's always good to have friends trolling you in the uh, chat. Yes. Yeah. I well, intentionally cool. invited him because he, he I knew he would. He knew he'd throw some stuff in there. Okay, so I asked you this earlier, but to recap, how does one go about getting goats if someone's interested in goats? Yeah, so I would if, if someone wanted to get goats, the steps that, I, that we took and that I would recommend other people take is to buy a goat care book and read it. Find a local farmer who raises goats and see if they will teach you about kidding and raising goats and just generally, like a lot of places have goat classes. We, we attended a goat class at a local place called Prodigal Farm. And then cool. you buy goats. You People buy willingly goats. sell them all over and you just, there's the reason you want to go to a class and read a book is because there are rules. You want to check certain things about goats and there are certain traits and characteristics of a goat that you don't want to buy. Yeah. One of the big rules was never take a free goat. <laughs> There's a reason they're free and you don't want it. <laughs> right. It's like a, is it, yeah, it's kind of a free puppy. There's a rule about real free puppies. Good advice. So anyone out there, now you have all the goat facts. Like you're ready to start your goat adventure. So yeah, you didn't yeah. know that this podcast was going to be about goats, but it is. No, yeah. Right. And when your goats come into milk, remember that you, even with the babies on them, they produce more milk than the babies will consume. So you have to milk them every day. It is not, it's not a good thing for someone who doesn't want to do something every day <laughs> it's definitely there's definitely chores they're not self-maintaining uh, animals yeah. yeah cats like cats are like the best animal for anyone who just wants to like occasionally do stuff with their animal just kidding right <laughs> right yeah on my terms not your terms yeah 
<laughs> yeah, we have a new puppy, so I definitely understand that whole, oh, this is so inconvenient. I'm trying to work from home. Yeah. But we're lucky because we don't have to deal with kids and puppies, but I have friends with both and that's, that's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, that seems, seems, yeah, seems like way too much. Yeah. All right. So we've covered goats and I feel like people are ready to hear about this octant thing, which I just recently learned about. And my first thought was, okay, this is a Kubernetes GUI. How is it different from other GUIs? So what is the, like the sure. origin story of how this came about? Yeah, so how it came about was Brian Lyles and Joe Beta had a conversation about tooling, developer tooling specifically for Kubernetes and how the like new developers coming into Kubernetes had to have a lot of information to even get started. And then even once they had that information, once it was all deployed in Kubernetes, understanding how all these different services and resources were interacting with each other was very difficult. So it stemmed from this desire to have a tool that made it easier to understand how things were operating in your cluster, as well as making it easier to get those things into your cluster and view them and see them updating and just following along. So that's kind of where it came from. And then I was introduced to the project about a year ago and started working on it and instantly just I fell in love with the project. All of the sentiment that's in that idea, I uh, really relate to. I know what I have to know about Kubernetes to build Octant, but ideally I would know nothing about Kubernetes and I would just be able to build my application and deploy it and it would work. And there would be a tool like Octant that would just help yeah. me understand how it all works and help me understand how to get it from the dev state that building things out into running it. Yeah. What I'm hearing is this this isn't really meant to be like your production dashboard for your clusters in the cloud or something like that. This is more of a dev tool, maybe? Or is it is yeah, it? Yeah, right do now both? it's right now it's very much focused to be a dev tool. There are some there are operators who do use it as a way to do things. The way its current permission model works, it's an all or nothing model. So for people who aren't familiar with Kubernetes and running it, generally there's some tooling like kubectl where you'll create a local Cube config, and then you'll just use your command line tooling, your CLI tools. Octant kind of follows in that in those same footsteps, where Octant just looks for a local cube config, and then the permissions you have to your cluster are the permissions you get to navigate and view things with. So there is no actual deploying Octant, setting up Octant, or anything like that. You just download the binary, run it, and it uses your actual true permissions to help you navigate your uh, Kubernetes cluster. Right. So it's sort of that convenience factor of not having to worry about creating your RBAC situation or having a web GUI for managing the users inside of it and all that. So right. that's, yeah, it probably saves you a lot of coding <laughs> on, the, on your it end. It does, yeah. Yep. There is a strong desire to get this in cluster. And that's something we have in our backlog and we're working towards. But it was something that we intentionally did not put in there to start because we really wanted to focus on driving forward with features and useful things for developers. Sure. And then later address that whole in cluster RBAC permissions. How does it work thing? Right. Because I think at this point, it's, you know, we've got a lot of the tool choices out there for GUIs around Kubernetes, because obviously it, there's a lot to it. It's tricky, I think, sometimes to figure out as a, whether you're an operator or a developer and what your use case is, trying to figure out which one of these tools is the right tool for that job. Okay, so we've established right now it's not ideal as a cluster operator's tool simply due to the fact that it's not designed for uh, web permissions and stuff like that. Is it, would you consider it a troubleshooting tool for local, like my local Kubernetes and diving into why this container is, or 
is well, which containers are respawning and, and crash loop back off kind of situations, stuff like that? Yes, absolutely. And that was one of the first things that we addressed and tried to tackle with the tool. Brian created this view, which was called, it's called the resource viewer. And it's like a, it's a graph view of your resource in the cluster and all of the connections and everything in a nice graph. And then we have statuses of the objects. And so while you're viewing this graph, you can see that everything's green or that this is red. And then you can, from that graph, drill down into the individual resources and get that more information about can't find the image or what, whatever happens to be there. And right. you can also directly link in and look at container logs and things like that. Yeah, it, it definitely helps you navigate that here's an error that I think a lot of people when you first start using Kubernetes, I know for me, I would run deploy and then you do status, but what do you need the status of? Do you need it of the deployment of the replica set of the pod of the, of the service? Did you typo the service name versus the deployment name and all of these things that are really hard to surface with the CLI tools because sure. you're just looking at this wall of text. And so getting it into a graph, showing those connections or not showing the connections. If you're expecting a service to be part of the graph and it's not there, that's a big indicator that maybe there's an issue with the service. Yeah. When students are going through my courses, they're first learning containers, right? And so this, they often will have this experience where they're trying to containerize something and there's something just not quite right with their Docker file, or maybe they're trying to use Docker Compose and their Compose file is messed up. And they realize they don't have really great observability of what's happening right now. Is the container restarting? Is it stopped? And so they, you know, they run a bunch of commands, right? Docker PS, like Docker PS-A, yeah. like they're trying to figure out, uh, oh, and, and those tools don't exactly output the best combination of, is it the app itself? Or is it the Docker file with the, the command? Was, like, was the command failing? Was the image the wrong name? Like people misspell Nginx all the time when they're new to Nginx and they're not used to typing it a thousand times. But once they get that past that struggle and they start to learn orchestration with Kubernetes, that's often the next step is their YAML isn't right. Or and I'm telling them, hey, you should be using apply. Like, sure, you can learn the run and the create commands, but you really start to need to focus on apply because that's like what you're going to end up using in production. And even the describe command is a lot to sift through and it's not colored. Typically, I will, for myself, even after playing with this stuff for a while, it ends up being three or four terminal windows I got open and I got one looking at events and I got one ready to receive the logs with some external logging tool that because I want to see all yeah. the pods or whatever. And it sounds like this is a scenario where I could just have my app window where I'm maybe running cube control commands for just apply and get. But everything else I'm going to need to see is all just in this one browser tab. Is that kind of how the yeah. experience goes? Yeah, and that's our goal. There are some things that we're not surfacing yet, but essentially our goal is to move everything up from a kubectl command up into Octant so that you're no longer having to pipe things out to, to JSON parsers to then get the nested value that you want from the YAML that's output from a describe command and all of these things that you have to do now. It's just, it's the string of, of commands, like Unix commands that you have to pipe together. It's just, it's not, I don't I don't even, it's so confusing even to me and I do it all the time. So I'm yeah. one of the biggest users of Octant. Like I run Octant all day long. Yes, I'm, I develop it and I work on it, but I also, I run it to look at my things and, and to help me develop. And it's really changed my workflow and the way I do things. Yeah. Is this a read-only type of tool or are there opportunities to fix things? Like, can I do edits in it? Yes. So we have, right now we have a, a select uh, number of fields that are editable. We are working on full-on edit, even up to the point of pasting in YAML or uploading a file and having it be applied. 
We just recently added in the ability to create new objects via our uh, API. Our internal Octan API is really just a wrapper around the, the Kubernetes API that gives us a little more control. So that way Octan can do things in the way that it expects them to be done from like a process standpoint, not from a Kubernetes API standpoint. We really just are, are encapsulating that API. But yeah, so we have, you can like edit container images and, and change the, the links that the names of deployments and things like that. You can modify the number of replicas that something has. What else do we have? I think that's, those are the three big ones is the, the container images, replica sets, and service names. So we're, we just recently incorporated the Monaco editor, for those who aren't familiar, is the same open source editor that backs VS Code. And so we just added that as our default viewer for the YAML view. It's currently set to read only, but the idea is that we we're going to be creating a smart editor in Octant that will allow you to do like smart editing of your object. So as you're typing in, like this uses this config, you'll get type ahead and you'll get, or you'll get a red squiggly line and then you hover and it says this config doesn't exist in this namespace, things like that. So things that, that kind of point in the right direction and help you build your YAML in real time, we're going to be incorporating that into the, the YAML editor because it's backed by an actual IDE tool now. Yeah, that's really cool. I, it's pretty fascinating lately how people have created ways to use the VS Code web view or whatever you want to call that kind of approach to, to things. And I don't know, is it called IntelliSense inside of VS Code? Is that there? I don't know. I, that's that, what I call it still. <laughs> and then every time like I say it, depending on the, the, the person I say it to, they instantly know what I'm talking about. Or they're like, what's that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whether or not they've used Visual Studio in their past life. Yeah, I'm sure it's a trademarked term, but it is kind of a... a Autocomplete, maybe, but that's not really all it does. Really yeah, I see what you're saying. That's really cool. I, I think that obviously we're not, it, it doesn't sound like we're trying to hide the fact that Cube Control is there and that we can use it. But when you, like you said, when you really just want to focus on development, focus on your app, that's one of the things, one of my beefs really with trying to use orchestration locally while you're developing is you end up getting so bogged down typically with the management of the infrastructure that you're no longer focusing on your app development and you spend you know, now, now 10% of your time is no longer app development. It's now getting this thing to work. And I felt like, you know, flashback six, seven years, we were leaving that world when we got rid of Vagrant and VMs and we were just managing it with Docker desktop or some sort of Docker setup or container setup. And we started to learn about things like Docker Compose. I felt like we were finally on a road to some consistent tooling around taking multiple apps, running them all together locally to make this thing work. And I haven't, it's interesting because for a while now, I've been really not convinced that we need to be running towards local orchestration tools for development. But I know that there's legitimate you know, use cases out there. When you want to test with service mesh or you have a situation where you're heavily using a proxy for your microservices getting back and forth between each other, like trying to do that without some level of orchestration ends up usually with people making a bunch of different tools that simulate the production but are nothing like those tools and now they have these two tools they have to manage in, in parallel it, it, I, I know it's one of those things where i'm I, I don't yet have quite that sweet setup that i'm excited about and so i'm i'm really curious at how this if i gave it a shot i don't do a ton of development work i'm mostly more on the devops side right now so mm -hmm. i'm mostly just sitting in yaml i'm interested to see how this would really if i kept it up and running how this would change my workflow and have me spending less time at the cube control command lines I hear you've got some demos. Yeah, Should we check some of that out? 
Yeah, yeah, we can do that. I was just going to show just kind of high-level walkthrough of kind of what Octant does and nothing too deep, but just for people who haven't seen it before, so. Yeah, and on your, on the website, it did talk about that, like right now, you basically run a shell command and then it does a bunch of automation in the background and then brings this web console up, but that maybe in the future it's going to be its own GUI. Is that still yeah, a thing so you we are, do? Yeah, we're currently working on making a, an Electron app. So it'll it just similar to Slack and, and VS Code and other tools, it'll be its own double click executable that, that especially folks who are, who develop on windows machines and even to some degree, Mac OS machines are just used to that app format. Right now, if you get the exe and you run it on uh, windows, it just says, this is a command line app. <laughs> it's not very, <laughs> it's not a very friendly way to like, we get a lot of people who are like, what do I do? It's command line. And, and so, yeah, we want to, we want to lift that experience up so that it, you don't even have to think about it. Thank you so much for being on the show. This has been great. I learned a lot about this tool. I felt like I just did this podcast for me. For selfish reasons, I just kind of wanted to learn and you were willing to be on the show. So thank you for that. That was great. Where, yeah, where can people find you on the internet? We have your Twitter handle down there. That's W-W-I-T-Z-E-L-3 on Twitter. Um, yep. Where else? Anything else? Twitter, GitHub. That's really it. Oh, and the uh, Octant Slack channel on the, the Kubernetes Slack. So the oh, okay. Kubernetes community has a Slack there's a there's an Octant channel on that Kubernetes Slack and in there I'm also W Witzel three. All right, that was the end of the interview with Wayne. You can check more out of Octant at octant.dev. That's O C T A N T dot dev. Of course, all the links are in the show notes. Thanks so much to my Patreon supporters. You can get my weekly updates on what I'm creating and updating in the world of open source and. Docker containers, Kubernetes, cloud native, all things DevOps. You can support my efforts there at patreon.com slash Brett Fisher. Thank you so much to my now over 100 supporters. I'll see you in the next episode.